long ago, an imperfect spiritual leader named Moses handed the reins of leadership to his equally imperfect successor, Joshua. God had chosen Moses to lead his people, Israel, out of bondage and into blessing. And Moses had accomplished the first, but sadly, as you know, he would not have the privilege of accomplishing the second because he allowed the unrelenting stress of leadership and the chronic complaining of his people to hijack his emotions momentarily and short-circuit his obedience to God. But Moses' unfortunate lapse didn't change the ending. Instead, it only hastened the inevitable. Because for obvious reasons, all, all human leaders eventually step down. And there are no exceptions because the only permanent leader in the universe is God himself. Now, as Moses anticipated handing the baton of leadership to Joshua, and as he thought about the challenging task that Joshua would soon lead, I'm certain he felt a tsunami of mixed emotions. I suspect he felt profound humility as he considered the miracles that God had performed before his eyes and the outcome of those miracles and the fact that he had been privileged to play a part in one of the most powerful chapters of God's redemptive history. I suspect he also felt a deep and rewarding sense of satisfaction, and with good reason. Moses had successfully overseen the completion of a seemingly impossible assignment. God had used him to translate a very unlikely vision into a living reality. I'm equally certain that in that host of emotions, Moses felt a measure of regret. After all that he had done, he wasn't going to be able to complete his assignment. I'm also certain he felt both anticipation and some nagging concern. The former because he knew God's capabilities. The latter because he knew his people's tendencies. And finally... I rather suspect Moses felt a great sense of relief. <laughs> Somebody else was about to assume the very real loneliness and weight of leadership that only a leader can know. But good leaders, and Moses, make no mistake about it, was a good leader. Good leaders aren't self-absorbed. They don't wallow in their own emotions. So as he prepared to pass the baton of leadership, Moses did more than navigate his own mixed emotions. He prepared his people to successfully navigate the future before them. And he did that by reminding them of things that they were going to need to remember and things they were going to need to apply. He reminded them of God's oft-repeated words and warnings, promises and warnings. 
And he reminded them of the faith lessons and the faith principles that God had revealed to their ancestors and to them. Moses knew from experience his countrymen, the people that he loved, had a bad habit, the habit of forgetting the things God had told them, forgetting the things God had shown them. And he knew if they indulged that habit moving forward, the results would not be pretty. God's intended future for them would be reduced to little more than wishful thinking. And God's reputation among the unbelieving, enhanced by the plagues of Egypt, would take a major hit in the eyes of the world. So, in his final teaching, in his final sermon, Moses reminded his people of truths they should never forget. This week, in my final teaching as lead pastor of ACAC, I want to follow Moses' example. Because we find ourselves as a church standing where ancient Israel once stood. Our mission as a local congregational expression of God's kingdom has not been completed. Our continuing assignments, they continue. And the new assignments and opportunities that await us have to be effectively engaged. You might say there are lands to be possessed, giants to be defeated, enemies to be conquered. And as we're gathered here, even now, Satan is actively plotting our defeat. So today, as we stand at this strategic juncture, I want to remind you of the truth we must never forget. That's my title for this final message, the truth we must never forget. It's a strategic truth. God spoke it repeatedly. It's a non-negotiable reality. God demonstrated it throughout the history of the world, the history of his kingdom, and the history of this congregation. Now, before we talk about the truth we must never forget, join your hearts with mine in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this awesome privilege of once again declaring your eternal, living, powerful, transforming truth to men and women who love you and who want to follow you faithfully. Lord, I pray that rather than just being informed, today we would be transformed. I pray that your spirit would empower me for proclamation and empower every one of us for understanding and for application. And Father, I pray these things with expectancy because I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And as we listen for God's voice together today, may the Lord be with you. That's a great sound. I haven't haven't heard that in a long time. At first hearing, the truth we must never forget sounds incredibly simple. But those who understand it know it's anything but simple. And history testifies that many who claim to understand it tragically do not. They merely pay it lip service. Here's the truth I'm speaking of. God's work is only accomplished God's way through the leading and power of the Holy Spirit. 
any other way will prove pointless. Any other way will prove disastrous. Any other way will produce great commotion, but it won't fulfill the great commission. Because there are six things that the church has to either possess or bring itself into alignment with if the church is going to minister effectively. And God's Spirit is the only reliable source of all six of those things we desperately need. First, we need a knowledge of God's heart because that's the starting point for everything God's people do. It's the starting point for two of the most important things Jesus called us to do, love God with all of our heart and glorify God before men. We love God in response to recognizing his heart, recognizing his gracious heart that loved us while we were still a hot mess. We loved because he first loved us. Our love for God is based on a knowledge of God's heart. And we glorify God when our words, our emotions, our values, our priorities, our conduct offer the world an accurate portrayal, an accurate picture of God's great loving heart. In contrast, activities that don't align with God's heart misrepresent him badly. And that's why activities that aren't based in the knowledge of God's heart will never know God's blessing. We need a knowledge of God's heart to minister effectively, and only the Holy Spirit knows and reveals the heart of God. Second, we need to know our own hearts, and that's a tall order. We need to know our own hearts because there are things in our hearts that hinder our personal growth and hinder the work of God through us. But you see, we can't possibly discern those things on our own. Jeremiah reminded us our hearts are what? Deceitful. And who do we deceive first? Ourselves, see. We need the Holy Spirit to show us our true selves, not our imaginary selves. We need the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin. And only the Holy Spirit knows our hearts and can reveal our hearts. That's why some people don't stay very long in spirit-filled living. They step into the spirit-filled life believing it will mean an abundance of miracles and signs and wonders. But generally, the moments immediately after you step into the spirit-filled life are moments of testing and trial and revelation. Remember, Immediately after Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism, the first thing he did was not miracles. The first thing he did was follow the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. A lot of people want the power of the Spirit, but they don't want the transformation, which is one of the first priorities of the Spirit. So they peek in and say, ah, not what I expected, that's not for me. The third thing, we need to know what God wants us to do. Not what he wants someone else to do. Not what he wants some other church assembly to do. Not what he wanted some leader in the past 
to do. And certainly not what compromised people who rely on their own wisdom, who walk in their own fears, who advance their own agendas, who protect their own egos, who defend their own idolatries, not what those people suggest we should do. Only the Holy Spirit knows what God wants us to do. God has a unique role for every congregation, but the congregation cannot fill it until it fulfill it until it knows it, and it cannot know it apart from the leading of the Holy Spirit. Without that, you're just left with generic Christianity 101. We've got far too much of that. Fourth, our ministries must align with the future that awaits us. They need to be proactive rather than merely reactive. They need to be fashioned not only for the world that currently is, but for the world that God knows is coming. When many times our ministries seem to be structured for a world that ended a century ago. God wants his people to get out in front of events and shape them rather than be continually on the lagging edge, confused and threatened by them. If we aren't following the Spirit, who knows the future, we will quickly find ourselves perfectly positioned to minister to a world that no longer exists in a manner that no longer matters. And there's a lot of that going on. And you see, only the Holy Spirit knows the future. Fifth, we need to know our adversary's battle plan. We need to discern Satan's strategies, understand his devices, as the Apostle Paul said. Otherwise, we will test defeat where defeat was wholly avoidable. And only the Holy Spirit can know what our unseen spiritual opposition is up to in the spirit realm. And finally, the sixth thing we need or must align with, we cannot do God's work without God's power. Now, people tend to think of power as the ability to make others do your bidding. That's not power in God's kingdom. Power in God's kingdom is the ability to fulfill God's purpose in you, in the church, and in the world. The ability to fulfill God's purpose. And only the Holy Spirit provides the spiritual power necessary to do God's work in the world. Sometimes that power is demonstrated by overcoming opposition or barriers. Other times, that power is shown by enduring suffering with your faith intact. I would remind you, it takes as much power to be Job as it takes to be David slaying Goliath. They're two different expressions of power, but God's power is necessary for both. Now, the first pastor of ACAC recognized the truth we must never forget. When asked to superintend God's work, you know the story very well. 
He wisely responded, I am not capable of superintending God's work in this place. But if the Holy Spirit will superintend the work, well, I'll gladly run errands for him. Thirty-six years ago, when God led my family and I here, I said the same thing. Because I had already learned in my first church that when God said, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, here's what he meant. It's not by might nor by power, but by his spirit. God says what he means, and he means what he says. I learned that early. My father demonstrated that reality before his watching family. My dad's life bore a striking resemblance to the book of Acts. It was a pretty steady diet of the miraculous. Now, dad only possessed an eighth grade education, but he had a BA degree. He had been born again. And he took God at his word, convinced of the truth we must never forget. When dad first came to Christ, he was looking for a church that preached the gospel, and God led him to the Alliance Church in Butler, Pennsylvania. The Alliance had been formed when many years earlier, a single pastor in the middle of New York City launched a movement at God's direction with God's empowerment, a movement that has touched millions of lives on every continent of the earth, the movement of which we're a part, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And that movement, which has literally led millions into the kingdom of Christ, probably would have never gotten off the ground if its founder, A.B. Simpson, hadn't been convinced of the truth we must never forget. I hope you know that ACAC is a miracle. Maybe not Red Sea class. Maybe not Lazarus rising from the dead class. But it is a miracle. Church growth experts tell me that all the time. They say things like, I never would have thought what happened at ACAC could have happened. You see, very, very few urban churches in our nation have successfully adapted to their changing context. The sad truth is far too many fail to even make the attempt. Beginning in the 1970s, the great majority of Christian churches in America, in urban America, either closed their doors permanently or relocated to the suburbs where the illusion of greater safety and security, the promise of greater financial resources, the potential to escape from the uncomfortable realities of social and economic inequalities, the presence of less challenging monocultural and monopolitical populations, and the potential for huge campuses attractive to mobile religious consumers combined to make an attractive passage, package that ensured numerical growth. 
And that tragic event led to what, led to what church historians call the suburban captivity of the American church. Now that term wasn't coined as an indictment on suburban neighborhoods. God's church should be found everywhere that there are people. We know that. But the term was meant to convey a tragic shift in values and an even more tragic shift in dependence and hope and a tragic loss of a vital spiritual dynamic. As predicted, it did result in large crowds. But I'd like to suggest every passing day it becomes increasingly obvious that it robbed the church of its prophetic voice, speaking power to evil, and left the church with a rather pathetic voice. That it left it with compromised credibility and diminished influence and waning respect. And quite frankly, what I've witnessed during this pandemic is only making matters worse. I have shared candidly with many, if I were not a follower of Jesus, if I didn't know what I know, if I hadn't seen what I've seen, the behavior of most American churches in this pandemic would convince me I wouldn't want to touch being a Christian with a 10-foot pole. Whining about our rights. When our rights aren't being threatened, the reality is we've had rather privileged opportunities that others haven't had. Daring to use the word persecution, which is a joke, if you've ever known a truly persecuted believer. Politicizing the church. Speaking mean-spiritedly of those people who are going to destroy our nation. It's ugly. And I don't hear God in any of it. I hear the divider, the destroyer. I hear the leaven of the Pharisees that Jesus warned against. And remember, they were the God and country Bible-believing people. And they were happy to crucify Jesus. But when all of that was happening in the 70s and the early 80s, the Holy Spirit had a different plan for a church called ACAC. When the experts said, no future here, the Holy Spirit said, stay here and I'll take care of your future. When the experts said, no way, no how, the Holy Spirit said, no, watch. See what God can do. Your God is too small. If God can't build his church in the urban north side of Pittsburgh, he's useless. God can build his church anywhere. In the darkest night, in the toughest neighborhood. God doesn't need a Starbucks on every corner to build his church. And what the Spirit promised, it's exactly what he has done. And friend, if I know how to hear from God, he is not finished. He's not finished. So long as we remember the truth, we must never 
never forget. Not by might, not by power, not by any human leader, but by my spirit. As I prepare next weekend to hand the baton of leadership to Pastor Allen, I think you would agree with me that the environment in which God has called us to complete our mission is incredibly challenging and increasingly so with every passing day. It's really getting ugly out there. But the Spirit of God is not intimidated by any of this. The Spirit of God has seen it all. He's seen far worse than this. And he knows far worse is yet on the horizon before Jesus returns. But the Holy Spirit has also seen the far-off future. And he knows that after man has done his worst, and after Satan has done his worst, God will do his best, and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever and ever. But he wants to reign in us now. He wants to reign in his church now. You know, somebody once likened the way believers in our nation relate to the Holy Spirit to the way people in England relate to the Queen. You know, people in England overwhelmingly want to retain their royalty, they want a king and a queen. Even though they're a modern democracy, they want those symbols of their national identity. And they revere the queen. And they honor the queen. And they bless the queen. But the queen has no power. The power lies with the parliament. The queen is a figurehead, a symbol. But she doesn't call the shots in England. In the same way, far too many churches, far too many professing Christians love to talk about the Holy Spirit, love to quote, not by might nor by power. They love to preach on, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But when it comes time to make the big decisions of their lives, they usurp the power and the Holy Spirit is just a figurehead. They sing about a spirit that they don't obey. They read the word of God, but they don't know the voice of the author of the word of God, so they aren't capable of translating the word of God into their ministry context. And they lack power. Do you know a survey was done, I think about six, seven years ago? In the United States of America, on average... It takes 100 Christians spending $100,000, one full year of ministry, to produce one new follower of Jesus Christ. See, a lot of what is passing for growth is just the shell game of mobile believers moving around. They get offended, go over here, get offended, go over here, get offended, go over here, never thinking, maybe I need the offense and ought to stay put. A hundred people, a hundred thousand dollars a year to produce 
one convert. Are you telling me that's all God is capable of? Obviously, we have forgotten something of that truth we must never forget. A.W. Tozer, probably the most famous Alliance writer and pastor, once made this suggestion. I've shared it with you before. In the early church, if the Holy Spirit had suddenly departed, virtually everything would have ground to a halt and everybody would have recognized his absence. But in the modern American church, Tozer said, if the Holy Spirit were to suddenly depart, most of our church activities would continue on unabated and hardly anybody would know that he had left. And I fear before our eyes that's being proven true. But by God's grace, it doesn't need to be true of us. It will only be true of us if we want it to be true of us. And it won't be true of us if we remember the truth we must never forget. The church is not a human enterprise. It is a Holy Spirit enterprise that involves humans who understand where the knowledge is, where the insight is, where the power is, where the potential is, where the future is, and where Jesus is. Let's pray together. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this unexpected but wonderful gift that my brothers and sisters and family and friends have afforded me today. Lord, it felt good to communicate your truth to people I could see once again. And Lord God, we look forward to the day when that will be our reality once more. We, we know it's on the horizon. But Father, whether face-to-face -face or by means of technology, the message remains the same. If we as a people will continue to listen for the Spirit's voice and do what the Spirit orders in dependence upon the Spirit's power. Our future as a congregation is as bright as all of the promises of God. And all of those promises are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus is in us the hope of glory. So, Father, next week as we pass the baton, the human leaders will change, but the true leader of the church will remain the same. And for that, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.